or whether you're short. This is true whether you love art or you love math. This is true whether you like crowds or you love solitude. This is, whether, this is true whether you are a doctor or you hold the stop sign on a road crew. The image of God can be twisted and marred by sin, but it cannot be destroyed. This image is more than intelligence or the shape of our body. A person who is struggling with dementia still bears this image. Maybe we begin to understand the image best when we see a child with Down syndrome or some other genetic defect. The image of God includes both body and soul, but it is that which is of the soul the spiritual part of who we are, the part of us that is most intangible, yet most real, that gets to the heart of the issue. Today we have come to God's description of our origin, of who we are. And in some sense, it does seem strange to have to be told who we are. And yet... We must be told, because it is your being made in the image and likeness of God that Satan, the world, and your own sinfulness fight to convince you is not real. Genesis 1, 26-31. Follow along with me in your Bibles. This is God's statement to you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea. And over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. What is it that is the primary truth? that God tells you about yourself, it is that you have been modeled after him. 
Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of creation declares the glory of God. It is wonderful to look at the sunset or the stars or the mountains or the trees. But only man has been made in the image and likeness of God. Just to make that more powerful, even someone like Putin displays more of the image of God than the creation itself. God used himself as a model when he created human beings. And in verse 27 of chapter 1, we see clearly that both men and women are made in the image of God. He created him male and female, he created them. That means a man should embrace his manhood because maleness reflects the image of God. And it means that a woman should embrace her womanhood because femaleness reflects the image of God. But even in our world, this is an important point, even in our world where the distinctions of male and female are constantly being blurred, we affirm that every person to have ever lived has been made in the image and likeness of God. Do you hear that? Genesis 1 does not define for us what this means. God simply states the fact. I would argue that you could spend your whole life searching out what the knowledge or the image and in, in, uh, likeness of God means. But by stating the fact... God makes very clear that if you want to understand yourself, you must also seek to know God. They are bound together. John Calvin, at the age of 26, by the way, I just found that out this morning, began his, the first statement in his Institutes of Christian Religion. It begins with this statement. Nearly all the wisdom which we possess, that is to say, true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Now, I'm not going to go into, we could spend weeks talking about all the different ways of the knowledge or the image and likeness of God, but I'm going to basically limit us to three truths. Here they are. Your being made in the image and likeness of God means you can know God, you can make moral decisions, and you can be redeemed. Those three things. Let's begin with you can know God. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they, may, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Everyone sitting in this room today has the capacity to know God. You were made 
to be in a personal relationship with God. It is not with the animals that God walked in the cool of the day. It was with Adam. This is more than the fact that we have the ability to have language and thoughts and communication. I think it can be demonstrated that many animals have these things, at least at some level. Human beings have the capacity to know God and be known by God. Again, it's hard to grasp what that means, but maybe a human illustration will help us. You can enjoy trees, but you don't know trees on a personal level. You may have a more personal relationship with an animal. Many of us love our pets. But just as Adam discovered, none of the animals were a suitable helper for him. Adam needed someone like him. And Eve fits the bill. Adam and Eve have the capacity to know each other on an intimate level. They are both the same and not the same. They are the same and yet they are distinct persons such that they can interact with one another. It is one of the most amazing things in the world that you have been designed by God to know Him. Our deepest fulfillment in life can only occur as we personally and intimately know God. And I say that knowing that every person in this room struggles to know God personally and intimately. But I'm telling you to not let your personal experience or lack of intimacy at this moment be that which defines you. Let the word of God define you. You have been made to know God. Many of us fear that we could spend our life seeking Him and yet never know Him. The exact opposite is true. The Word of God promises to you that if you seek Him and you seek Him with all your heart, you will indeed find Him. Will you believe that? Because if you don't believe that God has designed you to know Him, you will not pursue Him with all your heart. You have to accept that you have been designed by God to be a vessel of the intimacy with Him. You can know Him and He can know you. That's the first statement. Secondly, being made in the image and likeness of God means that you can make moral decisions. God is a moral being. He is full of truth. He is full of love. He is full of peace and righteousness and kindness. And because of this, because we are made in His image, we too are moral beings. 
we have the capacity to make decisions entirely based upon a moral conviction. We are not simply instinctual beings. And because we are moral beings, we are also responsible beings. That means that we can be held accountable for the decisions that we make. Sometimes our consciences defend us against the accusations of others. They accuse me and I didn't do that. At the same time, you can turn around and someone can give you praise and in your mind you can be condemning yourself. I don't care what they say, I know how bad I am. God does not judge animals for moral decisions. Only humans can be judged in this creation for their morally evil choices. It is impossible to reduce human behavior to hormones and electrical impulses, even though there's no doubt that they do have some influence on our bodies. You are more than what you can see through an MRI or a microscope. You possess the breath of God, spirit, something immaterial, And because of this, you are a moral person. Now, when you understand that all men are moral, it is quick to see that this is why this is our true problem. Because we as people experience a slavery to making decisions that are contrary to the character of God. We're making moral choices, we're just making the wrong ones. The worst evils in the world are not committed by animals. They are committed by us, because we have been made in the image of God. But it's interesting that it is from this this being moral and being able to do very immoral things, that the third statement occurs. And that is, because you are made in the image and likeness of God, you can be redeemed. Now, I might be taking us down a road that you might not have thought of, but I hope it is very helpful to you. Salvation is dependent upon the incarnation. And if you're not familiar with that, it is the God of the universe taking on, not just for a season, but permanently taking on humanity for himself. Not just the physical body, but everything about humanity, both body and soul. The God of the universe takes on our humanity. That's the incarnation. Without that incarnation, you could not be saved. Jesus died on a cross 2,000 years ago, but that's only possible because of the incarnation. I'm very indebted to a guy uh, that I knew is now with the Lord, Morton Smith, on this. He said that it was an incredible condescension for God to become or take on human flesh. But it was not a degradation. 
You might say, what's the difference between those? Certainly God lowered himself to take on human flesh. But it was not a degradation. God was not something less than he is when he becomes a man. When he takes on human flesh. Maybe this illustration will help you. If you need a blood transfusion, you need to have the right type of blood. Because if someone puts the wrong type of blood into your body, what does your body do? Rejects it. The same thing is true of God. If God were to take on a nature that was not made in his image, his divine nature would have rejected it. The fact that you are made in the image and likeness of God, it is the precursor, it is the foundation for God to take on human flesh. Again, that shows at the very beginning, God understood what he was doing. He knew the incarnation was going to occur. And he knew where he was going with his creation of man. And so he makes us in his image, in his likeness. It is also true that when you become redeemed, you don't become some other form or creature. You're still just human. You don't have to become a superhuman or something. You you are recreated in the image of God. Colossians 3 says, The new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ephesians 4.24, we are created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Our whole redemption is God renewing the image of God in us. And the progress of sanctification is our being more and more conformed to the image of Jesus who is made in the image of God. Now, because you are made in the image and likeness of God, you can know God, you can make moral choices, and you can be redeemed. But that's not the end of our text for today. Because we are made in the image and likeness of God, it is our duty to rule. Verse 26, And let them have Dominion. You see, God in his very essence, in his very nature, is ruler. He must rule. For God not to rule would be against who he is. And we are made in his image. So that makes it so that we too are made to rule. Now God is the only absolute ruler. We are underneath his lordship. We don't rule over him. But it is our duty to rule. And that's what the text tells us. We are to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over the earth, and over every creeping thing. Now who and what we are to rule is very important here. We are called to rule over the animal world, for instance. God does not here command us to rule over other men. So I think that's very unhelpful for us to see. 
Now, we do later on in the fifth commandment, when we talk about honor your father and mother, we recognize that there are human uh, authorities in the world of which we need to submit. That's, that's biblical. But every time someone is given authority over another person, they are also challenged to not abuse that authority. They're actually called to serve those they are over. And one thing that you should see very clearly is we should never rule other human beings as if they were animals. Any form of servitude that demeans the dignity of man made in the image of God is condemned by Genesis. You should do well to remember that. If you're an owner, you know, if you're ever placed in a position of authority, the people under your authority you should treat as equals, bearing the image of God. Now, I'll say just a couple quick comments about rulership over the animal world. Animals are given by God for us to rule over. Doesn't mean we should rule them harshly. Cruelty to the animal world is certainly wrong. But it is not wrong to use animals for your benefit. Animals exist for man. Man does not exist for the animals. I have honeybees. They provide a lot of honey that I, that I enjoy. I take their wonderful honey and I eat it. And you know what I give back to them? Sugar water. Ugh. I have made a judgment that their, that sugar water is good enough for them, but not good enough for me. Now, I could take all of their honey and not give them any sugar water, but then the bees would die, I wouldn't get any honey, they'd be gone, the world would be worse. So, so that's a good illustration. You can use the honeybees for your benefit, but you're also caring for them. I think that's a proper balance of the world in which we live. We don't want to ravage this world. But we do want to use this world. Now, our passage also, beginning in verse 29, makes very clear that originally animals were not intended to be eaten. God says, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And then in verse 30, it says that the beasts have the plants as well. So in the beginning, man did not eat animals, and animals did not eat animals. This all changes after the fall. God kills an animal in order to cover Adam and Eve. Abel makes animal sacrifices as well. Noah brings animal sacrifices. There is no question that the plant world is very good for us to make use of. Our bodies live off of that, which is a very wonderful thing. So if somebody comes to me and says, I want to eat more vegetables, Art would never tell me that, but many people would say, you know, I'd say, great, that's a good thing, very healthy for you to do. But if someone then argues morally that we should only eat plants, and that somehow to eat an animal is immoral, we must again submit ourselves to the word of God. Genesis 9.3, after the flood, God clearly states, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. 
And as I have given you the green plants, I give you everything. So we should have no problem with people who choose to be vegetarians, but we should have a huge problem with those who make it an immoral uh, decision that anyone who eats animals is somehow in the wrong. Now, in addition to ruling the animals, it is also our duty to rule over the earth itself. All the earth. And I think that means such things as we are to till and fertilize the soil so that crops will grow. We are to make use of the minerals and fossil fuels in the ground. We are to celebrate new forms of technology and medicine. We are wanting to order the resources of the world for the benefit of man. Now, of course, we don't want to ravage the world, just as I didn't want to kill my honeybees. But we should not be afraid to use the resources of the world in which we live. Now, I could say a lot more. I could talk about the Green New Deal. I could talk about vaccines. I could talk about a lot of things. But that's not really where I want to go today. I'm going to finish this sermon talking about what I believe is the most critical uh, means of taking dominion over this world. It is the most basic form of taking dominion. It is more basic than any of the others. And if you read the entirety of the Bible, you will find little discussion on whether or not you should take, uh, I don't know, use this fertilizer or that fertilizer, but you will have all kinds of discussion about this one form of taking dominion. And you know what it is? Taking dominion of yourself. It's not by accident that you don't, you only have to go to Genesis 4 and you hear God saying words to Cain that speak directly to taking control of yourself. God confronts Cain. Cain is struggling with something. What is he struggling with? Well, it's not the merits of different types of fertilization. He is struggling with anger. He's struggling with jealousy. He's struggling with selfishness. He is so jealous of his brother that he wants to kill him. And what does God say to him in verse 7? Cain, you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God is telling Cain, more than controlling the world, more than trying to control me, you need to gain control of yourself. You must take dominion of sin, or sin will dominate you. How's Cain do? <laughs> Fails miserably. It'd be easy to conclude, oh yeah, Cain failed, we're going to do better. You might conclude that somehow I in myself have the power to rule over the sin that is in my heart. All I need to do is make a more determined effort. And I will tell you that you will never d destroy sin if you don't make a determined effort. But having the willpower to put sin to death is precisely the problem. 
We love sin. We live for our own selfish ends. We don't desire to give up what we want for others. Our hearts are deceitful. We can be living for our own sinful desires and be convincing ourselves that we're living for God. We are full of pride. We all tend to be overconfident in our ability to rule sin. It's funny, when God gives the law in Exodus 20, the people, you know what the people say? I always find this interesting. He tells them all the, the, the rules, and they say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Sounds like us. I'm going to be good. You see, obeying God's command to Cain to not let sin roll over you is much more difficult than you could possibly imagine. In fact, by yourself, it is impossible. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus says in John 8.34, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So while we are called to rule over our sin, it is only made possible by the grace of God working in us. Only Jesus Christ in our flesh has perfectly ruled over sin. And only Jesus, as he lives in you by his Holy Spirit, as Clark mentioned earlier, will give us the power to conquer our own sin. If you think the gospel is simply to forgive you and not renew your ability to rule, it's half a gospel. It's not a real gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are not simply a victim. We are learning to take dominion, first and foremost, over ourselves. The world tells you to look to a political leader. The Lord tells, I mean, the world tells you to look to modern medicine. But you know what? World leaders, modern medicine, education are not sufficient to enable you to rule over yourself. Only God's grace can do that. Only the Holy Spirit working in you will enable you to put sin to death. This is why when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it is, when, it, uh, when we get the list of the Holy Spirit, self-control is not a fruit of self-determination. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. This is why in Titus 2, God, or Paul says, the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Not your own self-determination. The grace of God is what trains you. Now, back in Genesis 1, Verse 28, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. 
and subdue it and have dominion. You see, the gospel is this. The blessing of God is what enables fruitfulness. You see that in Genesis 1. God blessed them and they were fruitful and took dominion. In the fall, we lost the blessing of God. Rather than God blessing us, he is now condemning us in our sin. And only in Jesus Christ is the condemnation removed, and he again is blessing us. So the, the foundation of your being able to take dominion over your own sin is the blessing of God, and you only have the blessing of God in Christ Jesus. So here's the statement, kind of wrapping this together. All who are in Christ Jesus are under God's blessing. And all who are in Christ Jesus are being renewed in the image of God. Which means that everyone who is joined together with Christ by faith alone will know God. We will make moral decisions in line with God. We will rule over the new heavens and the new earth with God. That is our hope as Christians. Not simply... Oh, I'm forgiven, but just a sinner. God says, no, I'm going to do what I intended to do at the beginning. I'm going to do it in you as you are in Christ and as he dwells in you. Is this your hope? Is it your hope? As you get beaten down by your own sin, as you feel the effects of the curse of this on this world and you experience your body not working or your mind not working right and you have just all these struggles and wars and rumors of wars and all these. Is this still your hope? God has made you to know him. He's not going to finish until you stand in his presence in perfect bliss and join him. And at that time... Every desire and every decision will be perfectly in line with his character on that day. And you will rule over the world with him. That's the destiny. And that's the gospel. Not just forgiveness for your sins. But all of that is the gospel for you. Amen. Elders, would you come up here to the front? It's good to have Chilson back. Chilson has suffered from hamstring issues and foot issues, and glad to have you back, Chilson. <laughs> Communion. Many of you here today are members and probably have heard this a hundred times.